remembering that our job is to be of service, we we come from a perspective of continuing to want to learn, which is important, um, but also not being overwhelmed by the fact that we could learn our whole lives and still have so much left um, to be able to live in that mystery with them and live in the experience and to remember just how much you have to offer. That was Tiffany Cruikshank, and I'm Henry Winslow. You're listening to Dharma Talk. Dharma Talkers, thanks for checking out the podcast. You're here, and I'm grateful. Real quick, if you're looking to advance your yoga practice, check out the Henry Yoga app. I've designed a 40-day, 40 minutes daily program that you can do from anywhere so you can get consistent with your yoga practice no matter where travel or life takes you. And by the way, after the 40 days are up, you get to keep the program forever. So go get the first two classes free at henryyoga.com. Okay, raise your hand if you've experienced some form of healing through yoga. I'd venture the overwhelming majority of you, if not every single one of you, has got one or both hands up right now. So have you ever had the thought, why don't our medical professionals include yoga in their treatment plans and protocols? Why isn't every Western physician trained in yoga? Well, changing that is just one of the ambitious goals of yoga medicine, founded by this week's guest, Tiffany Cruikshank. More on Tiffany in just a bit. First, this episode is brought to you in part by 10,000, purveyors of my new favorite practice shorts. These guys pride themselves on the simplicity and comfort of their gear. Two features I look for in all of my clothing, on or off the mat. GQ calls them, quote, the answer to the over-neoned, hyped, and played-out workout gear which certainly rings true. They've only got three styles of shorts, and I'm partial to the session short, which is the lightest and most minimalist of the bunch. The one sort of unusual feature, which I quite like, is the perforated waistband, which is insanely comfortable and, put simply, keeps the shorts from getting in your way. Perhaps more than the product itself, the ethos of the brand really caught my attention as well. 10,000 stands for a commitment to the daily practice of self-improvement and the constant pursuit to be just a little better than yesterday. That's a hashtag, by the way. Hashtag better than yesterday. Men, give these shorts a try, and I promise you won't be disappointed. And for the women, maybe, just maybe, you've finally found the perfect gift to entice your reluctant partner into joining you for a yoga class. Who knows? Grab a pair or a few at henrywins.com slash 10,000 and use code henrywins at checkout to get 20% off. Once again, that's henrywins.com slash T-E-N-T-H-O-U-S-A-N-D and use code henrywins to save 20% on your order of any size. Oh, and Dharma Talkers, this week only, 10,000 is running their Cash for Class campaign. For every order worth at least $50 placed now through Monday, December 2nd, they're going to send you a $20 Visa gift card to help you cover your next yoga class. No brainer. Once again, that's henrywins.com slash 10,000 and use code henrywins for 20% off and $20 cash back to you. Full disclosure, this brand is not a paid sponsor, but I am an affiliate, meaning when you order their products, I'll earn a small commission for sending you their way. So if you'd like to support the show, you can buy one of the items I recommend, and you'll not only receive a high-quality product, but also know that you're helping to keep Dharma Talk up and running. As far as other ways to support, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, aka iTunes which helps more than you know with discoverability, or make a direct financial contribution at henrywins.com donate. I've got one more announcement for you this week, which is that 
Veronica, my wife, and I are gearing up for a tour, a little mini tour through Europe in January through early February 2020. We're going to be at the Yoga Garage in Florence, Studio Giotir in Milan, Anahata Yoga Studio in Thessaloniki, Greece, and Hara Yoga Studio in Barcelona. So check out the details for that little tour at henrywinds.com events and sign up if you're in the area. Now, back to the show. Here's what you need to know about my guest this week. Tiffany Cruikshank, at Tiffany Cruikshank on Instagram, is the founder of Yoga Medicine, at yoga underscore medicine, a community of teachers focused on fusing anatomy and Western medicine with traditional yoga practices to serve the medical communities. She has trained thousands of teachers around the world, graced the cover of over 15 magazines, been featured regularly in major media outlets, authored two books, and released over 150 classes on various topics on yogaglow.com. With a background in acupuncture and sports medicine, Tiffany has worked with celebrities, athletes, and corporate professionals alike in her own private clinics and Nike World Headquarters. Tiffany also founded and continues to run two nonprofits, one conducting research on yoga's therapeutic benefits, and the other supporting a shelter for women rescued from trafficking in Delhi, India. I know you're going to love this episode. Tiffany is just amazing on so many different levels, a real impressive person. So if you'd like to learn more about her and go deeper into her world, head over to dharmatalk.show and type Tiffany in the search bar, T-I-F-F-A-N-Y, and you'll find all the notes, highlights with timestamps, and links for this episode, including Tiffany's recommended book. If you are ever looking for a new book to read, remember that I keep a running list of every book ever recommended on Dharma Talk. So just head over to henrywinds.com slash books and pick one out. Now, without further ado, please enjoy this interview with Tiffany Cruikshank. Tiffany Cruikshank on Dharma Talk. Thank you so much for coming on the show. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. It really is. And we have a lot to talk about today. You're someone who is very knowledgeable in a lot of different, I would say, uh, disciplines or verticals related to yoga. But first, I always start with the same opening question. So first, let me ask you this. What does the word dharma mean to you? And what is your dharma as you understand it today? Yeah, I think for me, my modern interpretation and and there are plenty of other philosophical interpretations but for me my modern interpretation of dharma is is um it's kind of like a triangle and i think of it like this intersecting point where one point of the triangle is my strengths and what i'm really uniquely good at i think we're all designed um in very different ways and are, are some things come easier to us than others. And then another point of the triangle is, is what I really love and my passion, which might be very similar or very different to the first one. And then the third one is what the community around me, whether that's big or small, whatever community I'm looking to serve, what the community needs. And for me, that Dharma or, or purpose in this world is kind of where those three points come together. What am, what am I good at? What do I love? And what does the world need from me? Um, and so, you know, how can I show up to be of service in a way that's fulfilling both to me and also really feeding the the greater community? How can I, how can I serve the world around me? Yeah. And in summary, how do you, how do you feel that you are doing that at this point in your life? Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of what I do is helping others really ap- appreciate their lives. So, um, whether that be working with patients one-on-one, um, pain management or orthopedics, or whether that be um, working with yoga students or yoga teachers, helping to decode how to work with people one-on-one. And and I think I uh, somehow, I think a part of that is also building communities now. I, I don't know how 
I have been fortunate enough to build a, a really nice community of people, but it, it's really interesting to me, this idea of building communities of people, that connection that's so important, I think, in a digital world where it's so easy to be disconnected and lonely and um, the fulfillment and importance of, of a community, not only to stay learning from each other, but also connected and supportive, so important for our health on so many levels, I think, too. Nice. Yeah, you, you alluded to this briefly uh, just a moment ago, but you are serving kind of two very different pockets of of the community in, in a way. If you look at it from one perspective, you're equipping Western medical practitioners, Western doctors, physicians, and, and nurses with the tools of yoga to incorporate into their practice. And then on the other hand, you're also training yoga teachers who are very steeped in a certain way of thinking that is often very um, in contrast to Western medicine. How do you reconcile those two things and remain a source of education and support for people who are approaching life in such different ways? Yeah. Um, well, a couple of things. One is that we we are actually just about to start launching offering courses specifically to doctors and healthcare providers. Um, so we do have that coming. Um, and then a lot of, I mean, this last week we had maybe a third of our teachers were healthcare providers ranging from surgeons to physical therapists to all sorts of different, um, modalities. Um, but there are teachers in our trainings. The bulk of what we do really is training yoga teachers. But what I, what I really love doing is combining the East and the West. When I first started seeing patients, so my specialty is Chinese medicine. And when I first started seeing patients um, with that, and, and my specialty within that is is orthopedics and sports medicine. So a lot of pain. But I think one of the things that uh, I don't know that I really purposefully knew this or worked this out along the way, but one of the things that I think now looking back on it made me really um, – successful in my practice was my ability to translate the Chinese medicine stuff to my patients in a way that they could grasp onto and, and have a meaningful connection to. And a lot of that sometimes meant Western interpretations. And so one of the things I've really appreciated and found to be really helpful is um, being able to kind of get to know who the person is I'm talking to and be able to relate that message to them, whether that be in a Western context or an Eastern context in something that's meaningful to them, creating um, like a healing map, something that they can visualize. And I, I think it's not visualization in the traditional sense, but I, I think the longer I'm in practice, the more I realize really just how powerful the mind is, even though we know that as teachers, we know how powerful it is. But I think even in something like pain medicine. Um, and now we're learning more and more about that. There's studies now where they just educate patients on the pain response and they see um, successful outcomes in, in pain measurements as well. Um, so our interpretation of things is such a big part of it. I think it's something I've really loved doing is bringing together the East and the West um, and leaving space for both. I think it's a fine line. And, and you know, in the Western approach, you know, it's, it's all research-based and evidence-based. Uh, which is such a, a brilliant thing, right? To filter out and and be able to really discriminate what is what is good, what will be helpful, and what will not, and try and limit side effects and things. Even though we know no one, you know, no study is perfect. But um, but if we wait for the research to come around, especially when it comes to yoga, um, you know, it'll be a long time before we're doing anything. <laughs> so um, we know so much from from experience-based practices now in yoga that have been going on for so, so many years. Um, and so to me, it's such a powerful place to be able to combine what we know from research and science with what we know from so many years of experience to be able to now also keep evolving. I think what's so important in the yoga practice is that we're also evolving to meet the needs of our students, which are very different, even just from 30 years ago or 50 years ago or a hundred years ago, you can imagine how different our needs have changed. And, um, I think the practice needs to evolve to meet the person. And so a lot of what we do, it, it makes sense to me is being able to kind of use both an Eastern and a Western background to understand who is this individual I'm working with. And maybe that's using more energetic Chinese medicine, sometimes 
those concepts make a more clear picture of what's going on. And sometimes, you know, the mechanical orthopedic understandings of the body um, or the mind make more sense. So I think it's really helpful because we really are such three-dimensional beings that I think one way of seeing it kind of tends to be flat. And, you know, and this is why I think in the medical world, it's so important that we have all these different modalities because, you know, for each one thing, each person's going to respond really differently and need different things, even just with back pain. You know, they're not all going to benefit from going to the chiropractor or the acupuncturist or the surgeon or whatever that might be. And, and so being able to, in a yoga sense, um, look three-dimensionally, I think is such such an important thing for the individuality of the practice. Mm -hmm. And as, as the needs and challenges of the modern human change rapidly, as you mentioned, that, that underscores the point of, of the, the studies not moving quite quickly enough to be able to use all of those Mm. holistic practices. So even more to your point, how it's, so good to be able to have a full grasp of different options to be able to pick and choose from. Do you find Absolutely. that, do you find that when you speak to the sort of patient or client who, who leans more on the Western side, that it's difficult to pepper in the, the Eastern philosophies and, um, and methods where appropriate I think it's really important to meet a person where they're at. Um, you know, if you look at things, and this is not my specialty, specialty, but um, if you look at things like quantum physics, and you know, our reality is is what what we create of it. You know, our reality is is our interpretation. It's not always what's happening, um, but I think it's important to meet them where they're at and in their reality, which. Um, you know, if they come from more of a Western perspective, I think it's important to speak in that way. So as a yoga teacher, I might be filtering that information that they give me through a TCM or a traditional Chinese medicine lens, but I might not be communicating that to them. So Mm -hmm. as a teacher, you know, we train them in all these different modalities to see the, you know, the orthopedic and the Chinese medicine and the mental health side and, you know, all these many different layers that go into the person. Um, but also to use that as a way to um, decide what might be the best place to start, which is which is challenging sometimes. You know, sometimes you just have to kind of start and and make sure you err on the do no harm side or the safe side, which is you know generally what a lot of our yoga practices are um, is simple things that with very little negative side effects. But I a lot of times the conversation that I'm having doesn't include all of that. So if, if I feel like someone's open to it or might be interested in it, um, I will definitely add that in for sure. Um, but then I'm also tiring if how much, (laughs) so I think our interpersonal skills of being able to kind of know enough about someone to, to read what they might be open to is really important. And it's why I always start with an intake and, and I, I train our teachers to, we train our teachers to start by asking questions, you know, first just ask an open-ended question and, and learn some information about them, then ask some specific questions. And, you know, we take them through a whole eval process that's kind of a little more specific, but then always ending with some, like, what are your goals? Because sometimes you ask all those questions, maybe they're coming in for shoulder pain and, you know, you've asked all these orthopedic questions. And then at the end, you find out their goal is is just to be able to carry their child around without pain or, you know, something something that wasn't what you thought. You know, they're you're trying to get them into Chaturanga and they just, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. their idea of what they want in, in the treatment in the, um, f- as a result of your sessions is very different. So I yeah. think all of that's important to collect. And then once I've asked all those questions, it gives me an idea um, you know, just based on the interactions, you can kind of sense, m- maybe not if you're new to working with people, maybe so, but um, who is this person? What's the lens they see the world through? How are they talking to me? What are they, what are they mentioning? You know, what other healthcare providers have they seen? All that stuff. Yeah, this is the role of the translator, right? I mean, you mm-hmm. have a lot of information that you're working with sort of behind the scenes that you may or may not share. You crystallize your thinking weighing it against all these different mechanisms and then make the choice of what to express back to the person. 
the the intake is is so critical especially when you're talking about treating with a holistic system you know if they're talking about their shoulder pain and then you find out that they want to carry their child and there's emotion tied up with that that it tells you a lot about you know which 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 organ may be affected in TCM or so on and so forth yeah and i think in a lot of ways as a yoga teacher our our greatest job is to be our main job is to be a great listener, a really good observer. I think there's wisdom in the listening and and not having all the answers right away, um, and collecting information and you know getting to know people and um, and I think there's a lot of freedom as a yoga teacher. A lot of people come and we have a lot of healthcare providers that also contribute to our curriculum and um, a lot of really heady information. And sometimes it's easy for people to leave and feel like they need to be a healthcare provider. But I also think. There's something so powerful about being a yoga teacher and and not having all the answers and and there's so much we can't explain with the body and living in that experience with them, which is which is the only reality we really have is like what's real in this moment. That static diagnosis is is something that's kind of static. It doesn't it doesn't change with the changing layers and day of you know and and hours of my day. And so, um, yeah, I think it's important to remember that our main job really is just to be a good listener and reflect back to them um, in line with what I'm hearing and and what I think is most important and not to feel like we have to have all the answers. And, and obviously our job as yoga teachers is not to diagnose or go against anything they've been told by their doctors, but to support them as advocates in their own health care. And, you know, maybe that's maybe sometimes encouraging them to get a second opinion, um, maybe that's doing things in the backdrop of your mind that you think will be really helpful without, you know, negating what they've been told. Obviously there's so much knowledge. I think it's important to remember each person can only fill their brain with so much knowledge. And each of us has, has filled that with certain things. And that might be, um, other business professions that I think are also relevant to what we do. Maybe that's just compassion of knowing our students better. Sometimes that's medicine. Sometimes that's teaching a lot of yoga and, and all of them are such important components of what we do and how it informs and, and myself included, like I only know so much. (laughs) I think one thing I've learned to be good at is, is, um, getting other people involved who are smarter than I am sometimes. (laughs) That's the, that's the community building part. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Having all of this background or all of these different um, tools in your tool belt and these various backgrounds and various modes of healing, I'm curious now, I mean, what does your personal practice look like outside of what you share and teach to clients and students? How are you working with all of this knowledge to improve your own health and and frame of mind? Yeah, I love that question. I for so long had such a rigid practice. Um, I did Ashtanga for a long time and, um, you know, felt like that was what I had to do. And that was, gosh, it's been over 10 years since I've done that now, but, um, uh, probably more than that, I guess, cause I've practiced for 26 or seven now. Um, but I had that really regimented, And, you know, in my teens and twenties, it was kind of, it was more of a a discipline, which was important then, you know, it taught me so much to have that discipline to get up every morning, sometimes at four or 5 AM and practice. You started Um, as a teenager. Yeah, I was 14. I was, um, when I started and, um, just dove right in, um, and loved it, but there weren't any yoga studios at the time, but I, yeah, that's a, another Another segue, but I think um, for we'll me- We'll come back the, to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for me, the, the big thing was letting it evolve and change. I think I had a, I grappled with this, like, how do how does my practice evolve? It was a little bit before Patabi Joyce passed away and I had had a back injury and it kind of forced me to really look at my own practice. At the time I was seeing sports medicine patients and teaching vinyasa and ashtanga and, you know, like my back injury really pushed me to look at like how I'm practicing, which I think there was more to the yoga than just the yoga that contributed to that. I think it was kind of everything, but, um, yeah. but being able to shape my practice as a way to support my life rather than really like using my life to support my practice. And, um, now I think I love my home practices because I can really wake up and, 
and sense what it is that I need. And sometimes that's really restorative. And um, sometimes that's a lot of movement. Sometimes that is getting upside down. And sometimes that is twisting or holding. Or I think the hardest part has been in, in the years past is how do I take away the filter of what I think I need? And I think it's such a funny thing which is probably another conversation, but I think it's so interesting when we look at how much of our beliefs around health and wellness are also really shaped by the media and um, what we see in magazines and what we see around us. And so one thing I always try with people, I used to have a lot of people who would come into me for weight loss. And one thing that was always really important to me, and obviously there's, there's a part of that that is a health issue at some point, but um, what was always really important to me was them changing their filter of like, I want to lose weight to look good to, I want to feel good. I want to be healthy. And, and as a reflection, if I believe in this innate, um, homeostatic regulation in the body that wants to keep bringing me back to balance, if I can bring that back to balance, then maybe some of that will shift. Um, obviously it depends on the person, um, you know, and, and, and what their goals are, if they're realistic or not, or if they're, if they're healthy or not, of course, um, but I think that's such a big part of it. Yeah. And that was a part of it for you when you were grappling and reckoning with your practice and teaching at the same time as feeling pain in your own body. Yeah. Well, I, I think just taking away the filter of, of there's so many layers to the beliefs that we hold about ourselves and about what health and wellness is that I think sometimes restrict us from taking the practice that we really need. Like you know, obviously this need for movement and, and, and it's a real need, of course, especially for people who sit in their desks all day long. And I, I know that just as much as the next person. I spend a lot of time on my computer. I'm sure, I'm sure you do. I'm sure a lot of people listening, even teachers now. Um, so obviously there's a place for movement, but like, how do I take away some of those filters that kind of push me? Like I have to exercise. I need to get in so many sun salutes to be able to listen and see what it is like Oh, I do feel like I need a little bit of immune support today, or I'm feeling really stressed. I really just need to, what's going to be the best way to work through some of this. And sometimes maybe not even think so hard about it as much as go with a feeling, but it really requires kind of taking that extra filter away. I think of like right, what we right. think is right or what we think society thinks is right. Or yeah, I think that's the challenging part. Yeah, that that is the challenging part. And I think you know, there, there's a place for the very regimented practices, like the set sequences, like Ashtanga, when mm -hmm. you really need to learn the skill or the lesson of discipline. And I find that a lot of people, myself included, who get attracted to that sort of thing, it's because you really crave that routine and that structure. Mm. Is that, why did you start practicing yoga at 14? Was there some, <laughs> some part of you that, that sought that out? Yeah, I mean... <sighs> Gosh, I was, a, I was a troublemaker. My parents sent me on a wilderness program and that was really empowering. This idea of just being able to survive and like make fire and shelter and survive off of nothing was, was incredible. But there was a herbalist there, take me out on plant walks and really learning about holistic medicine and healing from the world around me. And then when I, soon after I got home, there was a little sign with yoga and a phone number because there was no internet or yoga studios at the time. And um, I was just drawn to it for whatever reason. And um, I don't know that I knew it at the time, but, um, you know, I was always really athletic. So the physicality drew me in, but there was something else. And I think my interpretation of that now was also just being comfortable in my skin for a moment. As a 14-year-old girl, uh, there's so much discomfort in your body and, and uh yeah, searching for meaning and purpose. And, you know, I think it kind of checked so many boxes for me, even though I barely knew what it was at the time, as well as being like this holistic modality that was built into us. It's not even in the earth, you know, in the plants around me and my, my environment around me, it's within me, which yeah. um, to me is, you know, they're all such an important part of holistic medicine. It's kind of inseparable. Um but yeah, so I, I started practicing. I, I was so sick of high school. I 
I got through really quickly. I finished and at 16, I moved off and went to college and there weren't really any yoga classes there. So I went and did my teacher training and started teaching. And I just remember all the way through school, my parents being like, why, why are you teaching so many yoga classes when you know you're going to quit when you get a real job? <laughs> <laughs> and then I went through this whole phase. I mean, I, I taught a, a minimum of 10 classes a week all through Chinese medicine school and had, and through my pre-med and had, you know, sometimes 13 classes a quarter on top of that. And, um, and then when I got out, I was teaching a lot and seeing a lot of patients, uh, 60 some patients a week usually. And then eventually it kind of slowly evolved in the last handful of years to me, um, really doing a lot more of the yoga. Um, but I still see patients once a week when I'm here. <laughs> Yeah, this is this is interesting that you had these kind of two parallel paths, which were separate at first, presumably, but clearly now they're integrated. How how did that happen? How did how did that unfold? I mean, in my head, I thought they were always integrated, oh, but okay. I didn't realize they were separate until I hurt myself, and I realized I was kind of going through the motions of doing Ashtanga and kind of buying into the whole like practice, practice and it's coming, you know, like it, it's an injury. I look back, I was talking with someone recently. It's like, and, and, you know, some of this can happen, but you know, like going through injuries and being like, this is just the next evolution of my practice and my next spiritual growth. <laughs> and, you know, as someone who knows the body really well, it's kind of funny to have that disconnect um, of like, no, you're, you're actually tearing your hamstrings <laughs> or, or whatever. But, um, and it kind of fed my type A personality. So rightfully uh -huh. so, I'm sure there's a lot of people who can do Ashtanga without that. But for me, it was like, oh, I got to get that next pose. I got to get that next pose. And I I finished fourth series and, and actually herniated my disc. And, um, and I'm sure that was also hunching over patients all day long too. That's not the best position to be in, standing over patients, putting in needles and taking needles out and doing a lot of body work like I do. Um, so I'm sure it was a combination, but... I think that was the big spur of realizing like, hey, it is connected, but it could be even more connected because you could actually take all this stuff you know <laughs> yeah. from your background and other people that could be other aspects of life um, and incorporate it into what you're doing with your yoga students. And so then that slowly evolved into, I was already teaching teacher trainings because when I I moved to Portland, there was kind of a need for it. And so I started running teacher trainings there. And as I was seeing patients, um, I just realized like how much of a need there was for more of this individuality um, of teachers being able to work with the individual rather than a cookie cutter. And so it kind of slowly evolved into yoga medicine, which is really what we said before is this combination of East and West, um, to be able to individualize the practice for the student. And yeah, and it's kind of evolved over time. <laughs> what has been a major struggle for you in, in, since that time of opening up yoga medicine? Would that feel like a natural fit for you when you finally put two and two together that these could be incorporated into something that leveraged your experiential knowledge from practicing and your theoretical and practical knowledge from treating patients? Or was it difficult for you for any reason to do that? I think it was a pretty natural fit. I mean, it definitely, it felt like the right thing. And I think a lot of it too came from a place of, you know, me working with patients. And a lot of times I I did this with my classes too. Maybe, you know, one day I'd be working with patients and see a lot of people with, with shoulder issues and, you know, this common theme of stuff that I was, you know, constantly telling people. Um, because one thing I really liked was not making my patients dependent on me, but really empowering them with things they could do on their own, whether that was yoga modalities or pranayama or um, home remedies of whatever, whatever that might be. Um, but then taking that into my yoga classes of, of, you know, a lot of that was kind of like the inspiration for my classes of, of wanting, of really wanting to like take this out to the world of like, Hey, what if everyone knew they could do this thing and, and it would be so helpful for the rotator cuff or what if, what if everyone had this thing? I, I just felt like there were so many things that were coming up over and over, um, that I just wished everyone knew. And so I kind of, it kind of evolved like that. It's always been something like 
how do I share this with the world to allow people to be advocates for their health and wellness, um, regardless of whether they can afford yoga or they have the time or the means or whatever that might be? Um, how can I how can I really offer these as as suggestions or whether they can afford acupuncture or one on one sessions? So I think it kind of came from that place, and it really. It evolved. I think the biggest thing I ran up against was time, of course. Um, and I think I learned really quickly not to micromanage or, dele- or learning how to delegate and find great people to help me out. Um, not micromanaging all the, I guess, the runnings of the business. Mm-hmm. One thing that is really important to me, though, is the the continued quality. I've been, it's been really important to me to grow slowly, which sounds funny because it, um, I just think the quality is so important for me. Not like the the goal was never how big can I grow yoga medicine, but really how can we keep offering this quality to the world? Yeah, yeah. And that, of course, becomes difficult when you have other engagements and other um, other projects that you're working on. You, you continue to teach outside of yoga medicine as well, right? I mean, you are teaching for for Nike's headquarters, right? I, I'm not now, but I used to, you, yeah. You were I, at the time. Um, was that during yoga medicine yeah. or before? Um, I think yoga medicine kind of evolved toward the end of my time mm-hmm. there is when it started. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> but yeah, I, I started, I kind of just was in the right place at the right time. And, um, I think, I think they also really appreciated that I had this East and West approach as an, as an acupuncturist and as a, as a yoga teacher that, um, you know, I was relatable and down to earth and could kind of relate the Chinese medicine to Western perspectives. And so I came in and I, I actually started their Chinese medicine program. So I, I ran it for six years and towards the end of that sixth year, I, I hired some other people to come on and take over for me. I also taught yoga for athletes there. Um, And I think the same too with athletes is making it relatable. You know, it was kind of a, it was a pretty tiny class. Yoga was not a, I remember just trying to push them to like get more, more interest and more support around yoga. And at first it was like pulling teeth with Nike and, um, but it grew into some really well attended classes. And now, now there's a lot more behind yoga, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, Nike time. just came out with a whole line of, of yoga apparel, even, even for men, which is like the next, the next step after they <laughs> see the market opportunity for, for women, of course. They um, had one back then too. It just didn't do very well. I actually uh, I did a video and I think it was their first line of yoga apparel. It was like a ad, <laughs> which was kind of, it was, it was a cute video, but yeah, they tried. And then, yeah, I don't think they really put the force behind it like they are now though. So. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm sure that the program that you started there was a catalyst for that. Were were the athletes that you were teaching, were they like open, was that open to the public or you're talking about like Nike ambassadors? Like It's mostly employees. I mean, athletes oh, okay. who come through are usually there briefly. Um, but they're, they're welcome to use those services too. So sometimes, um, so for the yoga and the, um, and the acupuncture, but usually with a professional athlete, they, if they do yoga, you know, or they're open to it, they've got someone who's helping them privately or their own Mm -hmm. person for that. So, um, mostly it was the employees, but even in the employees, I mean, I mean, there's, there's a broad spectrum of employees. Some don't work out at all. Some are work out a lot. Some are like, part-time professional athletes, which isn't that uncommon. Um, but it was really nice and it was so nice. I I have to say it was one of the highlights of my career, especially working with patients, um, just to be in a setting where there was a three-dimensional approach. And there are some of these integrative clinics, um, that are around a lot of them struggle, but, um, some do really well. It's, it's just a great, uh, such a great, it's a great way to bring all of it together. You know, we had uh, personal, personal trainers, we had athletic trainers, physical therapists, nutritionists, orthopedists who'd come in and do consults, nutritionists, massage therapists, um, body fat index. And, um, what did we do? Um, 
I don't know, there were a few other different modalities. And then we had like people would come in and check vision and all sorts of things. So it was just really cool to have this broad spectrum of different modalities that could support that community um, and have it be like an integrative center, mm-hmm. which I think unfortunately right. has changed a little bit now, but um, I think some of that is still there. Right. Well, we were talking about uh, time management. That's how we ended up there with the with the <laughs> Nike uh, the Nike stint in your career. But at this point now you, you're also running two nonprofits and one of those conducts research on, on therapeutic benefits of yoga. How do you manage all of, I mean, that sounds like a tremendous amount of ongoing work as well. Um, but also at the same time, it's supportive of a greater mission that, that kind of threads through everything that you do. So how do you, how do you manage that? And maybe what is one exciting, uh, study that's going on? Yeah. So I, I grew up working on my mom's homeless shelter. So I, I think for me, giving back has always been such an important thing. Um, maybe selfishly because I felt the benefits of, of doing service work personally, and then also, um, the effects it had on the community. So I, I think that's always been really important to me. Um, the research foundation, the yoga medicine research foundation is the nonprofit. Um, and it really started because we had a few students who were researchers who were like kind of coming to me and poking me. And, um, I really wanted to be able to, (sighs) what's really interesting to me, we have such a great, we have such a huge group of, of thousands of teachers around the world. I just wanted to be able to use that as a way to collect information and contribute to what we know about yoga um, and kind of give back in that way. And um, the the woman who runs it uh, was working at Brown at the time. Now she now she's at Purdue and, and her, her main job is doing research uh, in the mental health realm and, um, and as a professor as well. And, and so she, we kind of got chatting and um, kind of went from there. And she she's really the one who runs it. I oversee all the big picture stuff and we meet and talk about what exactly that's going to be. Um, and then she has some, you know, grad students who help her out and, um, and we have some people on our end who help out too. So it's, it's definitely a team effort. It's taken a long time. Um, we're, you know, kind of getting our footing together cause there's a lot that goes into it. Um, you know, getting IRB approval just to be able to do ethical and, you know, ethical research and be able to have it potentially published as well was a whole step and surveys and, you know, privacy. And, you know, there's so many things to consider. So we're just about to start our first study, which is on posterior hip pain. Um, and, you know, we really just wanted to start out with something straightforward. I would love to see it turn into all sorts of things. I'm trying, I try not to think too specifically too far out in the future. So I'm trying not to get ahead of myself, but, um, I would love to look at all sorts of different things like the influence on things like telomeres and fascia and mental health. And, you know, I just think it's so interesting all the many ways that yoga influences us and the short and long-term effects of it. And really what's important to me is, is a non-stylized version. I think sometimes it's challenging um, because what's limited in the research on yoga is that a lot of it, a lot of it, a lot of the good research on yoga is is stylized. And then a lot of it either lacks the right numbers. So, you know, 20 people is, you know, it's a good base study, but it's not really telling me a lot, um, and controls and, you know, double blind and things like that. So it's, mm-hmm. um, we yeah, really but- want to get good quality research and we're starting small, so it will be a smaller panel of people, but that's also the, you know, the catalyst for larger studies as well. So we're just exactly. trying to get our footing yeah. around systems first. <laughs> right. That's like the, the, the results or the conclusion is this justifies, uh, another line of research. We need to look deeper into this. Yeah. What did you mean when you said, um, exactly, that which many, is important too. Yeah. It's very important to, especially knowing that the pace of that, that research is a commitment to, to set up a properly uh, powered study requires the investment of a lot of time, resources, and, and people's energy, quite honestly. So you want to, you know, do, do the preparatory work to make sure that it's a useful use of those resources. W- what did you mean when you said um, that a lot of the research is stylized? Um, are specific to specific traditions like ah. Shivananda and transcendental meditation. Um, I really want it to be 
just yoga and poses and and also things that people can read about and look at and replicate. Mm -hmm. It's challenging for me though, because our whole business is based on making the practice individualized. Right. Um, and so it is a challenge, you know, how do we find that something that will meet everyone where they're at and how do we leave that leeway, which is always a, a challenge in research, which is again, a great reminder why, you know, research can only tell us so much, but it's still important to keep looking at it and um, digging deeper, I think, in a different lens. Yeah. I, my, my perspective on it is for someone who likes to see the numbers and the data to support their decision-making, if you have, if you have evidence, then that gives you more confidence to try it out on yourself. But ultimately you don't really know what your experience is going to be mm -hmm. until you go for it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It is an important one. And then what is the other nonprofit? Yeah, our, so our other nonprofit is the Yoga Medicine Save a Foundation, which is one that is really close to my heart. Um, when I was at Nike as well, they had um, a nonprofit called The Girl Effect. And I remember watching, they had a little video and I've looked, it's it's not there anymore, but it was a sweet video um, that kind of talked about this cycle of human trafficking um, and the need for education to break the cycle, keeping girls in school so that they're not trafficked and then dependent on the cycle then to feed their families and children. Um, and it, I just remember watching that video and it really hit a chord with me um, as a woman, as someone who also is empowered and educated and has these resources, which really all of us do who practice yoga, we have these resources at our fingertips. Um, it just, I felt so drawn to be able to, it, it felt so wrong in my body that this was happening and people weren't talking about it. And so, um, as someone who I know that it's obviously happens is a, is a problem all over the world, um, even in the U S uh, but as someone who practices yoga, um, giving back to a culture that's given us so much is so important. And, um, I also wanted to, I knew in my internship for Chinese medicine, I learned so much by going and working in drug and alcohol centers and domestic violence centers and um, homeless shelters and things. It taught me so much, not only about working with different demographics, but about the perspective shift of like all the pressure we put on ourselves in any, really in any profession. And so I initially started it because I wanted to bring it into our teacher training and I wanted our teachers to do it um, as a way to work with different demographics, as a way to uh, get a new perspective on what I do and what's important as a teacher. And it really turned into something beyond that. I realized really quickly when we went that it wasn't about us being there and teaching um, that it wasn't about it being a teacher training, um, but it was really about serving these girls and women in India. And um, in so we started out with a with a shelter in Calcutta, and um, learned a lot from that. And and that was kind of through another company. And we really wanted to be able to, uh, and yeah, you know, clearly we had to pay them as well. So we wanted to be able to have every penny go to the nonprofit. So we switched and created our own nonprofit and found a um, had had met some partners while we were there and found out about a shelter in Delhi that was starting to be built by the Bono Foundation that ran out of money. And so we came in and helped finish that and are really supporting this one shelter, which is uh, it houses about a hundred girls at a time. It's such a huge issue. They're just on the main road in Delhi. There's 144 brothels, each have between 50 and 200 girls who see about 20 clients a day. And so- Unreal. An incredible, it's, it's mind blowing when you hear the statistics um, of it. And it's such an organized thing. It's incredibly organized and incredibly obviously profitable. Um, right. And so for me, it was like getting in there, giving back to a culture that's given us so much, supporting these women. Um, for me, education is, is such an important part of meaning and purpose in my world and, and also empowerment. And so really being able to bring them not just food and shelter, but we pair them up with meaningful vocational skills that bring them above the poverty line, which is unique. Um, they don't often get to choose, so they get to choose in ours. And we also bring them above the poverty line, which means... 
Um, it's not just spice grinding and things like that, but it's, you know, some become a goldsmith, some go to college. We've got one girl in law school right now. And to see the look on even just one of those girls' faces makes the whole thing worthwhile, even though I know it's such a bigger problem. Um, but yeah, what we do is really focus on using our community to build awareness, raise money. Um, as you can imagine, our money goes such a long way there. Um, so our next project is underway right now. Um, we're raising $150,000 by next January. So yeah. <laughs> How are you raising the money? Mostly on CrowdRise. And you'd be surprised. Last time we raised 100000 and um, a lot of it was just small donations, $20, $50, $10. Our teachers do a lot too. They'll um, do classes by donations. Um, recently, we had a training where someone kind of spoke up. A lot of our studio owners will do it on off hours. And um, in this training recently, one of our students was like, I just, I just want to speak up and say that we started holding this in our off hours just as a way to try and support the SEVA. And what we ended up finding was that it was our greatest revenue of new students in our studio, which wasn't our purpose, but it was really great because yeah. it built our community and people got around something they believed in and the level of community it created was such a wonderful thing for her. So um, it's really wonderful. I think when it's a win-win, teachers have the same. We have some teachers who are doing classes by donation and they get students in who wouldn't have been before, or they're going to other neighboring cities where they might not have taught before. And um, some are doing like, um, you know, we had a one woman who worked in the wine industry and got a bunch of people to donate wine and did an auction or uh, a bank, uh, 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 banquet or, you know, whatever, a, a raffle, you know, so there's a lot of different ways people do it. And, um, we had a girl just recently who raised $5,000 just in a few months doing donation classes. So if you raise yeah, $5,000 or more, you get to come with us, um, to visit the shelter when we go back every two years. So it's a year from January, we'll go back again. So. Well, it just tell it shows you the diversity of people's motivations to practice. That a donation class for a, a worthy, significant cause would draw out new people into into the practice space. I know. And, and I you, love you that. Really Are know. those the kind of people you want in your studio too? Like we totally. all want to have this cool community of people that care. I mean, hopefully everyone cares, but like it draws such a great new demographic. I think in. Yeah, and it, it's just. It's important to, it's kind of like you said, it's, there's this perspective shift that happens, not only from doing, going in, in there and being on the ground, doing the actual charitable work, but also to just put yourself out there as an advocate of it and see who comes up. Because just because your reason for practicing, it may be one thing doesn't mean it has to be that way for other people. And Absolutely. we, the beauty of the community is, is bringing those different perspectives together so that we can learn from one another. Yeah. We'll, we'll definitely put a link on the show notes for this episode to the the crowdfunding campaign. So if you're listening to this and you're moved by the appeal, then please go on there and, and make a donation to support this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I really appreciate the the breadth of what you bring to the whole conversation around yoga. I mean, you have this scientific uh, medical background, and yet you haven't shied away from the service aspect. For the teachers who are listening, um, what would you recommend? Because not everyone has the same background as you, right? But we all have a desire to share. I think that's what joins all yoga teachers together. What would you? What piece of advice would you give them if they are looking to go deeper with their yoga teaching? Yeah, I think one thing I feel like I come back to a lot is is reminding our teachers that our main job as yoga teachers is really to be of service. And so, you know, how that shapes up for you personally and the students you end up working with, you know, both of those might be informing each other um, and be really different from person to person. Some people aren't drawn to study anatomy and some people are. And there's so many facets of what we do, but I think remembering that our job is to be of service, we we come from a perspective of continuing to want to learn, which is important, um, but also not being overwhelmed by the fact that we could learn our whole lives and still have so much left. 
um, to be able to live in that mystery with them and live in the experience and to remember just how much you have to offer um, when you come from that place of being of service uh, as you just continue to invest in your own learning and yourself and your own practice and speak from that and remember that that is, you know, that is the truth. That is your truth is if you can speak from your experience, there's no right or wrong. You know, we don't have to wait until we have the research or have the medical background to know what we're doing to really be able to speak from our experience. Um, and I think that's a really powerful place to speak. I love this community that we have where, um, doctors and teachers are speaking and, you know, the teachers bring something different and really powerful themselves because they spent the, the hours and the years doing the work and applying it. And I think that's, you know, just as important, if not more important, probably more important than, you know, the scientific stuff, but both, you know, such an important part of what we do of the learning side. And yeah, I think if we can just keep remembering that our job is to be of service, it's not to have all the answers, um, but to continue to learn and obviously err on the safe side and do no harm, but to navigate the experience with them. I think what so many people need right now is someone who's willing to listen and, and support them. And, you know, medical providers are so overburdened right now and aren't spending very, aren't able to spend much time with their patients. And so a lot of what we do is, is listening and being there and guiding them and, and, you know, living in that experience and welcoming that them to live in that experience, to not have to have all the answers, um, as well, because there's this identification with the diagnosis that can also be really limiting. And, um, and so I think, in the pain, you know, pain is a lot of my specialty, but in the pain um, realm too, a lot of the untangling is allowing ourselves to really take away the filters of our experience, take away the filters of our emotions and beliefs and upbringing and everything around the pain to be able to really see what's there because these neurologic pathways of pain um, stay often long after the mechanical injury is left. So it's, um, I think yoga is such an eloquent way to work with all of that without even the heady understanding of, of pain and neuroscience and all of that, but totally. to um, enter that realm of service and experience and listening, um, which is such a powerful place. And sometimes when you go and you get the medical degree, like you've got so much information swimming around up there, <laughs> it's hard to bring it back. So there's something so powerful about what we do as yoga teachers. And so it's being able to keep believing in, in all that you have to offer, but also continuing to learn and, and not be overwhelmed by the fact that there's always more to learn, but remembering and trusting in your capacity um, to be of service. Right, right. It's like sometimes it's actually easier to trust yourself when you, when you don't know all of the heady stuff, all the conceptual <laughs> stuff. Because at the end of the day, I mean, our, our knowledge of neurological systems and uh, anatomy and physiology, like these are, these are descriptions more than explanations. They're underneath all of the scholarly understanding, there's still a mystery always. Yeah. And we feel like, I feel like in the yoga world and a, and a lot of, you know, realms of, of looking at the nervous system. It looks so straightforward and simple, but the reality is it's one of the, sim the systems we know the least about. Mm -hmm. um, we know so little about the body. And so sometimes having these really rigid constructs of like Western medicine or, or any modality, potentially any of these rigid systems is really limiting to us being able to see the big picture. So, right. yeah. Well, that seems like a nice open-ended place to wind down the conversation. I always close these interviews with something that I call the prana round and it's six rapid fire questions. So please, <laughs> please answer in minimum one word, maximum one sentence. Okay. Ooh, whoa. Okay. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> okay. In one word, why do you practice yoga? Connection. What's your favorite yoga pose and why? All of them, but if I have to, one, did you say one? Yeah, one, your, your number one favorite. If I have to pick one, I'd say meditation. Okay. And why? Why is that your favorite? Oh, and why? Yeah. 
Oh my gosh, because I think the mind creates our whole reality. And if I have to pick just one, mm-hmm. um, it'd be hard to f- pick one physical posture. But I feel like meditation, it just influences so much. And it's, for me, the most important part of the practice. Absolutely. I agree with you. Tricky answer, because you know what? I think meditation is part of all the postures, but I'll take uh, it. No, oh my gosh, <laughs> it's true. Yeah, totally. All right, next question. Yeah. What is the single best cue or piece of advice that you've ever received from one of your teachers? Ooh. Oh my gosh. Um, hmm. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Where do I begin? Um, all you have is now. All you have is now. I like it. Recommend one book, modern or ancient, for our audience. Ooh. Well, since I've talked so much about TCM, let's say The Spark in the Machine. It's an interesting one that kind of tries to make sense of the East and the West. Okay, nice. And of course, I will also be listing your books on the show notes. So for the listeners, you can find her recommended book and Tiffany's own books there. Next question is, is yoga for everyone? Yes. (laughs) final question how can our audience get in touch with you and how can we support you in your dharma oh (laughs) um really everything about me is on yogamedicine.com um if you look on the about on the menu under about you'll see the nonprofits there um you'll see all of our teacher trainings online courses um uh soon we're launching a new website with our doctors courses too which is great if you have healthcare providers that are interested it's really about helping them get into the practice and really the experience of it um and gosh we're on all the social media under yoga medicine you can poke me there or say hello um poke i haven't heard that one in a while i like it i said poke i haven't heard that one in a while (laughs) (laughs) and then my books are on there and all sorts of stuff yeah and on yoga glow if you want classes glo i'm on there as well very good very good tiffany thank you so much for coming on and and sharing your very diverse knowledge with me and the dharma talk community we appreciate it i appreciate it and i hope that at some point i can come and meet you in person oh thanks what a great chat thanks for having me Dharma Talkers, I hope you enjoyed listening to that conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. And if you did, please share it. Take a screenshot, share it on Instagram, and tag me, at Henry Wins. I love hearing from you about the conversations that make an impact for you. We have the ability to shape the world through our thoughts, words, and conversation. So let's influence the collective consciousness together. All my gratitude to Rory Wagstaff of Ease of Mind Productions for keeping our audio crisp and operations smooth, and to Patrick Kiebzak of Momentology Music and Art for supplying the powerful soundtrack to these conversations. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review, and tune in to new episodes of Dharma Talk every Thursday. I'll speak to you next week, and until then, keep living your Dharma.